This is Five on Three, center ice for all things Islanders, Rangers, and all news across the NHL on WFUV Sports. Good morning, everybody. It is a bright and early, crisp 10-10 here in the WFUV Sports studio. I am Samantha Bohr here for this week's episode of Five on Three with Tyler Mooney and James Burley. I haven't been on Five on Three with you in a little while, James. I'm so happy to be here with you today. You know, it's been a minute and I'm happy to be here too, especially because now we have a shared interest in both having been Devil's Beat reporters. So true. So true. So it's And it's a fun season for the Devils, which I, I know I've said maybe one or two times. <laughs> that so it is. It has been a fun season. Yeah. Tyler, how are you this I'm, morning? I'm doing well. No complaints. No complaints. Do you have any presentations to give in your class after this no, about I do not. Dante? Nope. Wow, it's a good week for Tyler Mooney then. <laughs> because yes, it is. He's had a tough one. It's a very good week. As we, we jump right into it, let us go, I guess, if we're talking about the New York metropolitan area teams from worst to first. Starting with perhaps surprisingly, if we consider everything from the beginning of the season, the New York Rangers, the team I am currently reporting on. And boy, oh boy, is this one a doozy. The Rangers have just gone very far downhill from what we all expected them to be and from what they were maybe at the beginning of the season. They've lost three straight now and have only won three of their last 10, going three, four, and three Yes, of course. Yeah, they're getting those win not wins. So they're getting those points in overtime, that single point, but it is just not enough. They are way below the playoff line right now in the Metropolitan Conference. I just I mean, Mika Zibanejad doesn't have a 5 on 5 goal yet. There's so much going on with this team that is tough to watch. Tyler, you're an avid Rangers fan. What do you see happening? What are your thoughts on what you're seeing on the ice right now? Well, first off, I had no idea that Mika hadn't scored a 5-on-5 goal yet. And, you know, hearing that, that just emphasizes more what I was about to say when you were kicking over to me, which is that the Rangers simply need more from their veterans and need more from their leaders. The last, the two games that they've played since we recorded last week, they lost 3-2 to Detroit in overtime in a game that they were up 2 nothing. I went to that game, and they were up 2 nothing after the first period, and I definitely don't want to say the game felt over because it didn't, and Detroit still had good chances, but it felt like one of those games where the Rangers were going to win like 4-1, 5-2, and they should have taken control. And for whatever reason, in the second and third periods, they just completely lost their game. And at the end of the game, Gallant had juggled the line so much so that Kreider had been demoted all the way to the fourth line, which you know I think you could definitely have justified it. He was pretty invisible that game and has been for most. And then last, a few days ago, maybe two nights ago, they lose 4-3 to the Islanders in a game they were up 3-1 in the third period. So when you have a team that has as high expectations as the Rangers do, and you have these veteran leaders like Zibanejad and Kreider and Truba and Panarin, you cannot be blowing games the way that they are now. I think the Islanders game was, that one was tough. I think they definitely played well enough to win, and you know, you hate to like blame officiating, but the no called trip yeah. on Kako that led to the winning goal. Like, that's just a brutal missed call. But then they, you can't blame it. And the Rangers had given up already two goals in the third up to that point. So it's really, they just need more from their leaders at this point. Kreider, I think, needs to be more consistent. Truba needs to step up, especially, I think the injury to Ryan Lindgren has hurt the Rangers way more than people expected it would. I agree. And you, when Lindgren went down, you needed Truba especially to step up, but also because now he's the captain, you need him to lead by example, and he hasn't really done that. So I think I'm not like too worried about the Rangers. They're still playing well. I think they've gotten the short end of the stick in some games. Like the Avalanche game, I think they probably could have won that. Both Islanders games, I think they deserved better fates than they got. But, yeah, they got to find a way to put it together, and it starts with the veterans. Excuse me. I think it's just about consistency throughout a full 60-minute game for the Rangers. And, you know, you talk about getting more out of the veterans. A guy like Artemi Panarin leads the team of points with 19, but he's still like a minus eight or something right now. So it, it's about it's about like getting getting your best players, getting the best out of your best players and having them produce for 60 minutes. And it, it, it can't be one period on, one period off like that, like it's been for the Rangers a lot. And I think you said in the, against the Islanders they look good enough to win. I would argue that in a lot of their recent games, with the exception of that Bruins game, because they kind of got dominated. Um, other than that, even 
you know, against the Red Wings, an overtime loss. I thought they looked good enough to win that one too. It's 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 not there yet for the Rangers, but all the pieces, it, it's it should click eventually, you know. And it's the same issues uh, from last year carrying over into this year. It's about producing when we're at even strength, and that's just it's just not what the Rangers are doing. And it, it's hard to believe because you know. I, I do think that Gallant like shifting up the lines is not it's not what's going to work. Because right now it's about getting chemistry to click the puck. You want the puck to bounce in your direction, and when you keep messing around with who plays with who, that that just doesn't work out. So I think right now you got to stick with it, fight through the adversity, and eventually it's going to come. And it's going to get there. And the Rangers, I mean, we we know how good they can be when when Igor's on his game, and and when you know Keandre Miller is isn't you know good for a, a mental lapse every other game now. It's and Truba starts leading by example. I think it reflects leadership when you can't when you can't uh, can't play a solid 200 foot hockey game for 60 minutes. So I mean, Jay, it's on the onus is on the new captain to uh, to get his guys in order. So it's it's going to be about um, for me. The Rangers need to just stick with it, and eventually it's going to click because they have the, all the pieces there. I mean, I'm not saying Chris Kreider is going to have another like 50 goal season, but like he's still good enough for 30 goals consistently, and you can build around that. Zibanejad and Panarin are guys that. Every team wishes they had, so I I wouldn't hit the panic button yet if I'm if I'm a New York fan. But it's something has either got to change or you've got to just keep keep sticking with it and and hope for the best at this point. You know, I think it's interesting that you say that like the onus is on Trubo because yeah, it is obviously you want your captain, you want your veterans to lead by example in terms of the mentality. When I've when I've talked to him, or when I've seen him in post game. He seems like he is someone who's like, we just have to keep going. And he's what I admire about him as a captain is he's not trying to blame other people. He takes the blame onto himself and he will address the issues straight on about what's wrong. He's like, our defense was trying to play too offensively today and not doing what they needed to do here. We're putting too much pressure on Igor and not allowing him to take a break. And he's having to play the full 60 in a way higher capacity than maybe he should because we are not producing the way we should. I really admire that about him. But you're right. It is about playing that full... 60 minutes because consistently what we're seeing with this team is they just fall apart in the third you saw it in that Bruins game you saw it in the Islanders game that Bruins game was one of the most brutal showings that I have seen at least so far this season for this Rangers squad it was just obscene how ridiculous they looked in the third period and I mean we all have those games or not we because I can't skate for my life but they have those games perhaps it happens but like why I guess my question is just going to be what is going to change this team enough that they stop falling apart in the third, that they're able to play the full 60, that they're able to find their groove again and get their, as Gerard Gallant said, their swagger back. Because he said that he's like, when you win, it establishes this energy and this swagger. And he's like, and we don't have that right now. What's going to bring that back for them besides their veterans producing? Because obviously, but something needs to change this is a young team that needs to find their confidence again and I don't know how they're going to do it if they keep continuing on the path they're on I think they're good I'm not really worried about the Rangers right now I must say like I think given another month things will be looking very different in terms of their record but I mean for now for the immediate future what 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 do they need to do because something's not working well they definitely need more from their bottom six that's for sure I mean Obviously, it, it is true what you say about True, but that he definitely takes responsibility. He was asked after the Detroit game, you know, what what caused this this sudden change? You know, was it something that they did or was it something you did? And he said, listen, that the onus is on us. Like, we got off our game. We didn't recognize it until too late. We need to make adjustments quicker. Um, and I think, I think he says all the right things. It's just a matter of putting it together. Um, but the bottom six... And there's two points I want to make, and they kind of tie together. First off, the injuries to Hedl and Kravstov have definitely hurt the Rangers' bottom six. I mean, they've gotten really nothing mm-hmm. offensively from their bottom six. And I think a big a big player that they need to start getting something from is Sammy Blay because, you know, he was hurt a little bit. But they traded, we obviously, the whole Pavel Buchnevich. Mm-hmm. Shouldn't have given rid of Buchnevich. That argument was valid last year. At the end of the day, there was no scenario in the world where Pavel Buchnevich was going to be on the Rangers this year, so I think it's a mute point now. But Sammy Blay, I mean, right now there's, I think it's a serious question whether he even deserves to be in the Rangers lineup. I mean, Julian Gauthier has come in and looked fantastic. He looked, I think Gauthier was one of the better players, probably top 
three, four players on the Rangers at the game I went to versus Detroit. Mm-hmm. And in years past, it seemed like Goche, you know, it's it's a meme at this point. Like he has that padded in power move <laughs> that he drives to the net. It looks fancy. He doesn't score, but he gets an offensive zone draw and it gets some energy. And then he doesn't do anything else for the rest of the game. But he's actually now, I feel like, in multiple games this year since he's gotten inserted in the lineup, he's brought energy to that bottom six and he's really taken things to the next level and provided more consistency. So, I mean, if it, the debate is between Gauthier and Blay, I think right now it's got to be Gauthier. But the second thing I wanted to say, which ties into the fact that they're getting no production from their bottom six, is that, you know, you talked about Gerard Gallant mixing and matching the lines. And on one hand, I, was I gonna think... going to talk about this too. Okay, yeah. On one <laughs> hand, I think that they sh- that he should be doing that. But on the other hand, there have definitely been some questionable moves in that sense. And the number one example of this, which a lot of people have been talking about, is you move Kreider down to the fourth line in the Detroit game, which, listen, he wasn't playing well. Kako was playing fantastic. Zibanejad looked good. You move Panarin up to the first line. They needed a goal. You're putting probably your three best offensive players this year so far on one line and hoping Mm -hmm. you can get a goal. It ends up going to overtime, and Chris Kreider is starting the overtime. It yeah. just doesn't. If you're if you're establishing that, listen, I know that Kreider like always starts the overtime, and that's their lineup. It's him, Zavanajet, and I think Fox. But if you've established, yeah, pretty lethal. But if you've established that Chris Kreider doesn't have it that night, you moved him to the fourth line. Fine decision. Why is he then starting? overtime yeah. I think it just doesn't make sense to me so I think while the onus is definitely on the players that I I don't think the coach is completely blame free in this as well yeah can I just real fast sorry not to cut you off but I was just gonna say that we keep saying like he, they always start with the same overtime unit it's obviously not working yeah they keep losing like overtime. like that's the thing it's like like we're saying like oh it's such a lethal unit for overtime and like yes it is those are like some big names however I mean they're not exactly killing it in overtime I this year. Three. Did they have they won in overtime yet? I don't, I don't think, think so. so. I don't think uh, so. At least I haven't seen them win I in don't think they overtime. Have. Uh besides in the sh- no, the Avs won the shootout. Yeah, the Avs won the shootout. Yeah, nope. Nope. Okay. Well, so I mean we'll, we'll fact check fact check that one. <laughs> but we're saying I had the yeah, Google but like, standings up and they don't track that. So they don't track that. NHL.com uh, standings. Come on, Google. But yeah, I mean Look, I I agree. It's on the coaching. You're doing a lot of shuffling, and some of it does seem interesting, rather senseless. Why are you keeping this overtime unit the same if it's not producing the way you want it to? So sorry for cutting you off. They have an OT win. That's that's just they do against who? Um, let me find it. Okay, if you can't, nah. I I do know that they have one in the standings. I can look. Yeah. Okay. You go ahead, James. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Make your point. I apologize anyway, for cutting you off. Anyway, no, I was just <laughs> going to echo the same point as Tyler from before, and I was just going to say, when it comes to shuffling lines, bottom six, chemistry is is probably your most useful tool when you're when you're forming lines and for your bottom six because your top your top six is the guys you your point producers, your bottom six, your guys you dump and chase and really work the corners, try to cycle the puck in front of the net and got, try to get the gritty goals, work on your penalty kill, you know. Your guys that are in front of the net and you're on your on your power play unit, so it's 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 really not as effective if you if you keep shuffling guys around. And I think you have to shuffle guys around so you find what works, and that's just part of the process. But it comes to a point where you have to say these are our best guns. This is where we're going to be most effective. You have to evaluate it, and then you have to start sticking with it and forming uh, established partnerships between these guys. Because if you look at more of the successful teams of the past few years, you got like the Lightning and and I'll even say the Bruins because the Bruins always know how to get production from their bottom six. It's um, like that that the for that second Stanley Cup Lightning team, it was that fourth line that had like Yanni Gord and, and Ryan Callahan on it. Like they 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 cycled the puck like crazy, and they would wear out teams. And then Kucherov and Stamkos would step on, and you know, for lack of a better comparison, that's like your Panarin and your Zbanejad, and they come on and they they put up five points a game, and and you have no idea what what you're doing. You had how to defend them. So I think. For the Rangers, it's it's still it's just a waiting game because, like you said, I think I think by the end of this month and by the end of the calendar year, their record's going to look different. They're going to even out. Um, you know, some guys are going to come off of the injured list, and I think personally, they should be right there with the best teams in the league. I before the season started, I thought if the Rangers could stay healthy and if Igor could continue to be a Vesna candidate, that they would be a President Trophy uh, chaser because they have they have the tools there, but. 
I mean, I think who we're going to pivot to next, we could also talk about having like a Vezina Canada goaltender. So true. So true. Excellent transition there. Um, Who he is talking about belongs to the Islanders, the New York Islanders. They played the Rangers the other night, as we know, pulled off their second straight third period multi-goal comeback of the season. Their second straight in a row, actually, against the Rangers. They're currently sitting uh, second in the Metro and fourth in the NHL, which is... Ridiculous. Is that true? No, that's the wrong team. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, true. Yeah. Sorry. I was just like, did I? No, as they're definitely been... second in the Metro. I haven't seen that in no, the standings. They are, they are that second in the Metro. Me. They're nine and five. So. Yes. Sorry. Yeah. My my brain, as we know, at this 10 a.m. recording time does things. So I like to double check with Tyler. Tyler keeps me honest because he likes to call me out, which I love. <laughs> um, no, all good fun. All good fun. But second in the Metro, fourth in the NHL, and their next four games are not exactly horrifically tough opponents either we got arizona columbus ottawa and nashville much easier than their schedule has been for their last little stretch they've got seven wins in eight games and this seven and one stretch for them started and has i don't want to say ended because it's still currently going but has started and continued against the rangers they shut out the rangers on home ice at ubs um eight games ago and that began this streak and then as we know the other night they won against the rangers in overtime 4-3 And I think that I personally will take this time to throw my hands up and say I was wrong. And I will admit to defeat about what I've said about the Islanders, about how I was like, I don't see them being much better than last year. Because apparently they are much better than last year. And I will own up to that. And I do think that it is due to the goaltending that he was just mentioning with Sorokin and Varlamov. I think that we've said they're one of the best goalie tandems in the league so far. I think that that is continuing to be true. I think what's interesting is that Varley, for me, fell off a little bit once he left the Avs, but then he came back and now he's been stronger than ever, which is, to me, also ridiculous how long this man has been in this league. I grew up watching him and now I'm like, wow, you're you're still here. I love it. Um, but I think that watching that goaltending be as strong as it is and watching this team fight as much as they have this season to never be down and out. They've had in their five of their nine wins, they've had to come from behind. And I am just in shock a little bit. And I will say I was wrong because I admire this team and I admire the goaltending. And Varley and Sorokin are perhaps <laughs> are perhaps two of the best goalies. I was going to say James will go to you first, but uh, he's got to deliver a pizza according to his morning, to my morning, alarm. His morning alarm clock to, uh, to wake him up. But uh, give your thoughts on the President's Trophy candidates and the oh Vesna candidate, That's perhaps. So crazy. Oh, it, it's it's not even wrong though, because they are fourth in the league, which mm-hmm. is remarkable. Yeah, I I was with you though. I um I did not think they were going to be there very good this year. I didn't I didn't see much turnover between the team from last year to this year. But maybe 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 you know the the opening season road trip really was that bad for the Islanders last year, and it really ruined everything because this team is some is something else. Uh, Brock Nelson is, is is a point per game player. Matt Barzal is a point per game player, and he still hasn't even scored a goal yet. Which is ridiculous. ridiculous. I, I, so I don't crazy. even know how that's happening. Um, Noah Dobson is 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 like up there. Like he's been unreal. Like so they've gotten in the, in the way that the Rangers have, where you've not gotten your your stars to. I don't want to say overperform, but the Islanders. I I don't want to say overperform, but the Islanders have gotten you know more than what they expected out of their best players. So maybe they are performing. I don't know. They anyway, got more than they got last year. Th- that is oh, definitely yeah. true. And well, that I, wasn't hard to and do. I think, <laughs> and I think. I think we we noticed last year that Sorokin, uh, at least towards the stretch last year, really had the ability to be this good of a goaltender. And the fact that he's doing it now is opening a lot of people's eyes. I'm seeing I'm seeing the Ilya's better than Igor stuff on the internet, and I'm not buying it. And that because that's crazy. Until 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 Sorokin has a season like Igor did last year, we no one can ever say that. But I think right here, like this is another team where I look at it and I'm saying like they just have such a foundation that even even if with guys on contract years even if you know they're bits so they got something of an older team maybe you you gotta you gotta think that even though a lot of guys might not be with this with this hockey club in the next few years that this is sustainable because of who they have in the net which is the same thing that the Rangers were saying last year yeah Sorokin I mean I, I feel like I come out here every week and talk about how fantastic Sorokin was and he definitely didn't get the roses that he should have last year because the Islanders were out of the playoff race in December, but he's gonna he'll be he'll definitely I would bet money that he'd be nominated for the Vesna this year, and he 
is definitely one of the few front runners so far this year. Maybe him and Carter Hart might be the top two. Hmm. But um, I feel like I talk about the Golden State Islanders a lot, and I think that a huge reason why they've had so much success early in this year is their just total, complete offensive game. I mean, in years past, if the Islanders were down 3 nothing, 3-1 going into the third period, like the game was for all intents and purposes over because this team couldn't, they couldn't play a run-and-gun, score three, four goals in a period type of game. That's just not how Barry Trotz coached them. That's just not how they played. It's not how they played. And when Lane Lambert took over, you knew that they were going to be a little bit more offensively inclined. But I'm not sure even I really believed that this team had the pieces to be able to win games 5-4, 4-3, win the games that they've been winning. But they've been doing it. You mentioned Barzal. He's been incredible. It, it, it'll come on the goal uh, column eventually mm-hmm. he's definitely been starting to shoot more but you know Anders Lee he's got eight goals he leads them when Anders Lee and Brock Nelson are leading your team in goals that's the Islanders key to success and Brock Nelson especially he had a difficult start to the season and then I, I think it's almost directly coincided with this win streak all of his goals I don't believe mm-hmm. he I think his first goal of the year came against the Hurricanes which was the game after the first Rangers game and now he's got six and I guess the last when it rains seven it games so yeah when it rains yeah. it pours but um they've just really they they don't quit one one two of one of you just said that like it just seems like they do not quit and I don't think that this Islanders team they they didn't win these kinds of games in years past even when they made back-to-back conference finals when that that run was all predicated on you know the Islanders would go up one nothing two nothing and then they would just completely shut you down defensively it really wasn't built off you know these crazy comebacks that they've been having and while I don't think you know multiple multi-goal comebacks in the third period in a (laughs) row are sustainable because it's not it shows that this team has a different character and a different makeup and they play a different way than in years past and I think that's something to be really excited about as an Islanders fan. I absolutely agree I mean especially we've seen firsthand the pain of being an Islanders fan um, a la our very few and far between Islanders fans here at the station I think it's exciting to see that now. It's exciting to see this, see this team win, to be changing that culture in the stadium, in the in the arena, stadium, in the arena, on the ice, in the rink, in the locker room too, and having a new head coach. I mean, I said at the beginning of the season, I was like, we'll see. It's either going to be a really, really great thing for them and going to be a total change in a positive way, or it's going to completely mess with team chemistry to a place they can't come back from. And it seems so far like things are really working. Whatever Lane Lambert is doing is working for them and is making a big difference for them and I mean you know what for the sake of Islanders fans everywhere I hope it continues I mean it's only November but on the other hand it is already November and we're seeing this kind of production happening from this team so do I think that if the playoffs started tomorrow they could hold their own in a seven game series against like the Lightning or the Canes no do I think that they could against some lesser teams perhaps if they're put up against them yeah so I think that I I will rescind my comments earlier about the Islanders missing the playoffs. Not rescind, but I will say that I now could be swayed to believe that they will be not even in a wild card spot, but will be genuinely in a playoff spot come the end of this season. And with that, let us transition to the top of the Metropolitan Division. The one, the only, New Jersey Devils. I know Mr. Burley over here is thrilled. Born and raised New Jersey Devils That's fan. Right. That's right. Current New Jersey Devils beat reporter. As as we know, I am I am pro Devils now, a la my my uh stint One there more. last year. One more. One more. I am so happy for the Devils right now to see them in the place that they are in at this point in the season. They're they are in what a seven game winning streak against some incredibly formidable opponents. They shut down the flames the other night. They are looking incredible. Jesper Bratt, Nico Heischer, they they both are looking phenomenal this season. I am so excited to see this stadium, number one, filled, and number two, energetic. Last season when I was there, the majority, I don't even think I saw a single sold-out game at the Rock last year, to be frank. Not a, not a one. You, uh, I'll, you probably saw a couple, and it was filled with with fans who were wearing blue you know what that's so true you know what i'll, I'll take that back yeah it was uh it was when they uh Hate to admit it but that's the truth <laughs> when the hudson river Ri- hudson river rivalry came to town it was uh, a there were even tweets about it i remember molly walker tweeting about it and being like it looks like a rangers home game in here which that it did 
But now we're not seeing that. Now this stadium is filled with black and red. We have the Devils fans rocking at the rock on top of it. I'm so excited to see the culture changing for this team, to see them getting a win, to see them gaining this confidence as this incredibly young team. And as this team that has gone through so much and struggled with such a tough season last year, to now be having the season that they're having, to be on the streak that they're on, and to incite this culture of fun and winning and teamwork. And they genuinely seem like they're having a good time. And hockey in New Jersey is fun again and is also doing very well and producing a lot of great stats for players individually, for the team as a whole, and for Lindy Ruff, who I was very doubtful of, as we know, at the beginning of the season. And he took everyone's doubt as a big old, like, let me show you what I can do. And he did it. So let's start with you, yeah, James. I, I, I Go just, ahead. I just want to say like, the doubting worked. That was all part of the plan. It was. We were going to boo him, and then we were going to get... Oh, yeah, they booed him on opening night. They booed him they on opening night. did and, more than booing. And yeah. they <laughs> chanted fire, fire Lindy several times. Yeah. I've been there to hear to hear it happen. And, I they're mean, quiet and, now. And for, well, they're, they're, they're saying other things now. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I, it's... It's crazy to say that to see what this team has become after last year, but I mean, just 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 so I don't sound like I'm repeating myself every week, I just I'll just talk about some individual players. I think Nico Hishier is is maybe like right now is is probably the Selkie front runner. I I I can't imagine that um, <clears throat> that anybody else in in the NHL at the center position is doing what he does both. As a f- as a forward and as a defensive forward, he does so much in the defensive zone. Is on almost every penalty kill, every power play, and at five on five, he scores big goals. He scored that winning goal against the Flames uh, a couple nights ago. Like this, he does it all for this team, and he's still a young guy, and he's the captain. It, like it's it's such an exciting time because every every Devils fan is pretty much in agreement. This is our guy. Nico mm-hmm. is the leader, and and that's not to say that the Devils have not had good leaders in the past. Like Andy Green was a great guy to have around. I mean, Islanders fans know that even though he was a million years old on the Islanders, he still was serviceable as a defenseman and like a great guy to have around. It just so happened that the Devils teams when he was the captain were terrible. <laughs> now, now though, that they have talent throughout the lineup, it's even they can battle through adversity. Last year they had a, injuries to the goaltenders and the team just crumbled. I mean, when Bernier and Blackwood went down, it was like, oh, God, who's next? And they went through seven goalies on the year and it was a disaster. Well, Blackwood goes down now, and Vitek Vanacek is going to start playing like a top ten goalie for no reason. Yeah, where did that come from? I don't, from? I How don't does know. He have a, I don't a get nine fifteen save percentage. And and you know and like and then Andre Palat will be out for three months, and Fabian Zetterlin will draw right into the lineup and have like a, a five game point streak off the bat. So like it so it it's insane what these guys can do now that that you know you've waited a few years for all your young guys to start panning out. And even like Jack Hughes is, is in a bit of a rut for the last few games. So once he starts playing like himself again, the, the sky's the limit for this team. I, I don't think – I still – again, I, I said this last week. I will repeat myself now. I think the Rangers, for example, are one team. Pittsburgh is probably another that are going to like refine their form and, and, and start to close the gap on a team like the Devils and the Hurricanes. And, and maybe the Islanders will probably – and with along with the Rangers will emerge as the front runners of the pack and the Devils are probably gonna fall out of the fade a little bit, maybe maybe still be the second or third seed in, in the Metropolitan. I don't think they're gonna hold on to first just because I know how good the other teams can be. But I still think from what I'm seeing, the way that they've changed this way that they play, they control and dominate games in a way I haven't seen in almost my entire lifetime as a fan. And even when they're not at their best, like they weren't against the Oilers or the Flames on Tuesday, they can still grind out wins. So mm-hmm. this, team's, this team's got a lot uh, in their disposal, and I, th- and I think it's going to be that way for a number of years, so I'm just so pumped. Yeah, the fact that they're able to get wins when they're not playing their best. Heeshear said it, I, I want to say it was after the second Flames game. I think he was like, listen, we, we did not play our best tonight, but the Vanacek held them in it, and the fact they were able to mm-hmm. come away with a win. I want to talk about Zetterlund a little bit. You know he's draw. He's correct me if I'm wrong. He was, I believe, he was one of the Devils' top prospects. Like, yeah, yeah. he has been for a number yeah. of years. Yeah. yeah. So the fact that he's able to draw into the lineup, playing first line minutes when Palak goes down, and he's had this five game point streak, had the two goals versus the Flames. That's just when you can get guys contributing like that, which the Devils haven't in years past. That's just such an added boost. 
Um, I saw that was the first time they've swept their Western Canada road trip since 1996, yep. which is wow, pretty really? wild. And it's the first time they've won seven straight games since 2011, which was yep. coincidentally the last time the Devils were like actually good. Yeah. So <laughs> it, it's really an incredible run for New Jersey. And one thing that really stood out to me when I was you know, looking at the statistics from the team and reading some stuff before this episode was that going in, none of them got points last game, but going into this last home game against Calgary, everyone on the fourth line, Bastion, Wood, and McLeod, were all on four-game point streaks. When your fourth line, entire fourth line, is on a four-game point streak, you're going to win more games than not. And I I have seen, you know, people are just talking glowingly, all the players and coaches, about this line, how hard they work, how hard they forecheck, and now they're getting reward on the score sheet. And it reminds me a little bit of the Islanders' identity line, except this line might even have more offensive capability than the Islanders identity line because when you can throw out your fourth line um the way look how the Islanders have done it in years past when you know your team needs a spark and your fourth line can go out there and give that to them whether it be simply through just like a great offensive shift but especially if they're putting up points as this line has been that's just such you can't say how much of a boost that is and it really allows you to roll four lines which I think if you want to win the NHL you need to be able to roll four lines the Devils are doing that right now and their next three games are against Ottawa, Arizona, and Montreal. So obviously don't want to look past, you know, three NHL opponents. But I think if the Devils keep playing the way that they're playing now, this win streak could easily get into double digits. Absolutely. And I mean, I, I don't know off the top of my head when the last time that happened was, but I can't imagine it's been. I don't, I don't know if that's ever happened. Yeah. I have to check Who franchise knows? record. I, I honestly don't know. But yeah, I mean, I would say the same thing. I mean, you obviously yeah, don't want to count out any opponents, opponents, especially because I think that Ottawa especially is maybe better than they appear on paper. Obviously, they're not having a good season, but when you look at their five-on-five five production, you look at the way they're playing, they are not a bad team. Like, we're the, a bad team, but they're not They're not as bad as I think I everyone thinks the they center, are. My roommate's a Senators fan. I watch Ottawa life. games more than probably most people. Um, they're, not oh, wait, they're, not <laughs> yeah, yeah. they're not great. They're not great. Yeah, they're not great. They're not great. I thought they would be. I didn't. I, a lot of people were like, "Oh my god, this team's gonna make the playoffs." I, I thought no, they were gonna, they I were never thought they were going to. I thought, so. I thought, I thought the Devils and, uh, and Ottawa Senators were going to be very similar teams. I cannot agree. Everyone was like, "The Senators, this is their year," and I was like, "Y'all are crazy." No, I don't. Uh, I just don't think eight, they're a good eight franchise. Points in, eight points in twelve games. I thought they'd shocking. be better than, but I mean, they started four and two, and I think they're on a. They're just on a downward like a spiral. Six, seven game losing streak. Right yeah, now. which is yeah. I think they're now four and eight, which is tough. But, I mean, you can't look past anyone. You see people come from behind. We've seen the Avalanche do that a bunch, where, just off the top of my head, they people they go into games and the fan base and you can feel it kind of in the players as they play to their opponent where they're like oh we don't have anything to worry about here and then they get their tails handed to them by teams that are perhaps not as constructed not constructed as well as they are you know devils can't allow that to happen as they head into these next three games I just really quickly want to touch on you mentioned like the bottom six for the Rangers the bottom six for the Devils is Dawson Mercer, Igor Sharangovich, Jasper Boquist, Miles Wood, Nathan Bastian and Michael McLeod and I can't there's not a single name on that list that I am like I don't love the way that they're doing things or I don't think that they're being um a good contributor to this team we know that I'm a Dawson Mercer stan that video of him getting out of the way of the hit the other night is hilarious I've never heard the the crowd cheer at a at a missed check like that before it was crazy it's I was so confused. I was like, did he hit him and we're cheering for the other team? Or I was so, <laughs> I was so confused. Are we cheering for the other team? No, that video is epic, first of all. I love it. But I mean, I, I also think it's interesting how you say that Jack Hughes is in a bit of a rut right now. Well, he's on like a point per game pace, pace right yeah, now. And yeah. that's still a quote unquote rut for the superstar that is Jack Hughes. But I mean, if he can get to the level he was last year, like you said, it is all guns blazing like cooking with gas but I mean even now when he's not playing his quote-unquote best still a point per game pace so I see good things for the Devils I don't really see a problem with them facing Ottawa I just think that we can't get cocky now but I don't really see a problem with them facing Ottawa by any means or any of the other teams that they have coming up in the next three pivoting now there have been a number of suspensions this week. This isn't a big week for heavy hits, dirty hits, and two-game suspensions. 
here across the NHL. We have Josh Anderson, Matthew Kachuk, and Juraj Slavkovsky, all with two-game suspensions. Anderson and Slavkovsky both got suspensions for boarding, and they are both, in fact, members of the Montreal Canadiens. They're both forwards, so that is fun for that lineup to happen. Kachuk has a two-game suspension after uh, he was given a two-minute minor for goalie interference and a 10-minute misconduct penalty after poking Jonathan Quick in the face during the game against the Kings the other night with such his a, stick. Such a funny description. He just, yeah, he just poked him in the face. Like, I don't know how else to say that. Like, he poked that, him in the face. That's what it says. That's what, how yeah. it's written down. If you read the official report, states it's poked. Poking Los Angeles Kings goaltender <laughs> really? Jonathan Quick in the face, yeah. like, yeah, I would, I would say like speared, but like <laughs> to be fair, when I when you think speared, if you think like a thrust. Like it it really deep. was like a poke. It was really, it was extremely dirty, but it's it like it was, it was, it was <laughs> two like, games, you know. But it was, it was a poke. But I mean, what are what are y'all's thoughts on this? This has been a week for for quite dirty plays. Obviously, none of these are great. I mean. They said the NHL said that with Kachuk, his suspension was not longer because though this is his third career suspension, they said it wasn't longer because of the lack of force behind the uh, poking, for lack of a better way to phrase that. But I mean, with the Anderson and Slavkovsky hits, those were wicked. And now with Slavkovsky hitting Matt Luff, Luff is now injured with a wrist injury. He's out for ten to twelve weeks. I mean, and um, with Anderson hitting Petrangelo. Both of them will, all three of them will forfeit pretty significant parts of their salary, which will all go to the uh, player emergency assistant fund, which, I mean, good place to take the salary if you're not getting it. But what are your, Tyler, start with you. What are your thoughts with these hits this week? I mean, not a, not a, not a good week for them. No, we, I mean, we were talking before we started recording how extremely dirty all of these hits were. And frankly, I was shocked that none of them got more than two games. I mean, I'd start with Kachuk because his was like different than the other two. I mean, he very blatantly turned once the play was over, turned the blade of his stick sideways so it could get in between the mask of Jonathan Quick and poked him. And like that's just that's so incredibly dirty. I mean, yeah. we've seen how bad eye injuries can be. I think you know, think about like Chris Pronger or Mark Stahl getting these terrible eye injuries. Granted, those were like pucks or full sticks swinging up and hitting them in the face and but they were career in Chris Bronger's case case career ending and Mark Stahl was never the same after his injury so for uh, there's a there's a very there's a fine line between being like a rat on the ice but like you know you're you go over the line a little bit but like you're trying to get on the other team's skin but that was just like completely uncalled for Mm -hmm. completely dirty and as for the other two hits like I'm you saw you mentioned that Luff is out 10 to 12 weeks I am shocked that Alex Petrangelo was able to get immediately up, up. after he got hit. It, if good he, for him. It, good, good for him. him. Good that for was him. awesome. I, was so think, happy for him. I think if you wa- I was trying to watch it in slow motion because I was like, how is this guy alive right now? Yeah. And I think his visor like hit the boards and blocked it from like oh. hitting directly his face. See, that that's how I don't understand this could be only be two games with, with I don't how get it. with how far away that hit happens to the I don't boards get it. and he throws him into the boards face first. That does it. I don't understand. If Petrangelo's so face, that could, that if Petrangelo's face hit games. the boards like three inches up, he, he his whole his whole face is oh. broken. Like and, it, and it was. I yeah, that was and Josh, yeah. Josh Anderson is so lucky that like there that was, was not bad. not a worse injury or like like an abundance of blood because yeah. that could have been such, and it probably should have been anyway a way worse. Suspension. His back was to him. The entire, entire both of it and the so yeah, yeah. Hit. And, the, and the intent behind it was so clear. Yeah, you're down five two in the third period. You're, down you're mad. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna yeah, go get their like, big guy. Like, normally, sometimes I'll feel like I can feel a little bit of sympathy for guys where the player turns at the last second and it's like, okay, you need to recognize that you need to lay off this hit, but it is a really split second decision. Yeah. But both of these hits, like the pl- the player who Slavkovsky and Anderson hit had their back turned to them basically their while. entire time. Yeah. And both of them were actually extremely similar in the sense they were in the same area of the ice and they were about the same distance from the boards where you're going to hit the guy, he's going to fall forward, and his face is literally going to face plant into the boards with no protection at all. Yeah, I I don't know how it was two games. I, I agree. It was. It's scary to watch. It's so scary to watch. I mean, ugh, yeah. James, what do, you, what do you feel about this? Well, the thing is, Josh Anderson's a 28-year-old 
NHL player who's been around the league for a little while now. And Yuri Slavkovsky's 18, and this is his first season. He's played 15, fewer than 15 professional games. He's born in the year 2004. Think, think about Yep, there you go. There's that. Oh, and that is, I was walking, talking, eating, and breathing when that kid was born. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so that kid, like, okay, he made really bad play, and uh, you know, I, you, you, he injured a guy long term, and it's, it's, it's a really bad situation. But the fact of the matter is, this is the first time, and this, you have to think it's going to be a learning curve for a young player. He's the first overall pick. You know, he's. Got a good head on his shoulders. That was part of the reason why Shane Wright dropped to four and this guy went up to one. So you have to think that this is an isolated incident and you give him the benefit of the doubt now. As for a guy like Josh Anderson, you this you, that's there there was no excuses behind that play for me. And two game suspension was shambolic. Should have been way more shambolic. Okay, that's a soccer term I brought in. That's so. a good no, it's a good word. Okay. Good word. Well, that, that's I just, just know I was just, just I was admiring I your, your language. It's a good word. That that's just, that's just the way I feel because <laughs> because Slavkovsky like I, I'm not surprised to see that, like, a, especially a power forward style rookie like him. Like, they, the coaches want him to get into the mix. They want him to use his body, be physical. And, I mean, I'm not – and, I'm, again, it's in, he, the play he made was inexcusable, but you have to give him the benefit of the doubt because he's 18 years old. He's a child. And But as for as for Anderson, like, that was, it was just worse. Yeah, I actually think that Slavkovsky, it seemed like once he made the hit that like, there, oh, was, he, there was a little bit like, was oh, remorse. shoot, what, what did, did I, I just do? do? Like, yeah. he was looking down at Luff and – Granted, Anderson got jumped immediately by like three Golden Knights, yes. so I, we didn't really get the chance to see if he would have given a remorseful reaction. But I agree that Sokovsky, while they're both equally dirty hits, you know, it is his first yeah few games in the NHL, and he did seem like he was like, "Oh God, what did I just do?" Yeah, I mean, eighteen years old, you're trying to establish yourself in the league. You're trying to establish yourself as what you are, and then. Now, I mean, that's one way to do it by getting a two-game suspension, but I think that I agree that I was watching it, and he was like, oh, no. I think that he was just trying to get a big hit in. I don't think he was obviously trying to injure him. I think that he just made a poor, poor decision. Um, Another injury this week in the NHL, which this one was an accident, so we can't really fault anyone for it, but very scary, Evander Kane getting his wrist slashed accidentally by the skate of Pat Maroon on Tuesday. That video is so horrifying. We were talking about this before the podcast about how we all were like, I can only watch it like a little bit because when you see the blood on the ice, it is and like you see him scream afterwards. That's what really got me is you see the skate hit his wrist. You see the blood on the ice. You see him grab his wrist and then he just starts screaming at the trainer, like skating as fast as he can towards the edge of the ice, screaming at the trainer. I need help. And I'm like, it is terrifying rushed to the hospital was evaluated has to have wrist surgery now and will now be out three to four months was placed on long-term injury reserve that is a blow for the oilers a blow for kane i mean he's been a pretty big contributing player this year he has um five goals eight assists 13 points in 14 games as we know i'm not maybe the world's most adamant fan of his um shenanigans off the ice however you never want to see somebody get injured like that no matter who they are and I mean, I, I wish him well in recovery, but that is that is terrifying. And it's just one of those things that reminds you how dangerous hockey really is. It's, even if it's an accident, it's so dangerous still. Yeah, def- just like a freak play. Um, say what you want about his morals off the ice, as you said, Sam, but you'd never want to see that happen. And that, I mean, that is a, a life-threatening incident. And there was a lot of blood in a very short amount of time. I Yeah, I watched the video for a few seconds, and then I turned it off. Uh, and hopefully he's able to make a return at some point this season and it's not he doesn't ever suffer lingering effects of that injury yeah i mean yeah i mean what else what else can i say about it i couldn't watch it either it was gross i obviously hope he he's okay soon again not a huge fan of his stuff off the ice but also you never want to see someone go down like that but also for him personally like he was sort of in this mist where he was kind of re-reamping his career back up Mm -hmm. after you know during the fallout of the pandemic and all the stuff that came off the ice he didn't look like he had a future in the NHL and mm-hmm. now, you know, got that landline from the from the Oilers and really made use of it. So it's come at a really bad time for him. So, I mean, and, and the, the Oilers really, really could use him contributing on that second line. Totally. I mean, I think that it is hard to see him now getting back into the groove of being a top tier NHL player, of being really productive, of being on a team that has genuine hopes and prospects of being a cup winner this year, next year, et cetera. 
And now for this just freak injury to happen, I think that what what really does make me feel so bad and what sucks is that it's not he was in a fight. It's not something that someone did purposely. It was just an absolute freak accident. I mean, you watch the injury. Maroon's just trying to skate by and just catches his wrist. So I can't imagine how bad Pat Maroon feels as well, to be honest. Like, I think if that was me, I would never forget that. So, you know, I don't know, but hopefully everything will be okay. Thankfully, he is doing all right now. He's stable. Everything is okay with his health. We do need to address um, a, well, a couple more things, but one thing that is really not so fun to talk about, but we have to bring it up because it is just so ridiculous. The Boston Bruins giving a three-year entry-level contract to Mitchell Miller. Mitchell Miller was originally signed um, 111th overall by the Coyotes in 2020, but he had his draft status, draft status revoked after it emerged that he had subjected a classmate to racism and intense bullying for years he claims it was an isolated incident the family of the victim and the victim himself have said that is absolutely not true he attacked isaiah myers crothers with physical assaults verbal assault slurs isolation embarrassment etc all of this eventually culminated in a juvenile court case after miller made isaiah lick a piece of candy that had been rubbed on the inside of a urinal which is absolutely disgusting And Isaiah's mom said that Mitchell Miller never apologized outside of what was court mandated, showed no sincere remorse. The Bruins, for some reason, thought it would be a good idea, even though they are at the top of the league, they are playing lethal hockey right now, to sign Mitchell Miller, inciting a whirlwind of criticism and hate against the team and fan responses. It got so bad that I know there was a a fan relations email that people were all saying, send your complaints to. Their inbox was so full and there was such a high volume of fan complaints about them signing Mitchell Miller that there was an automated response being sent out about their slower than average response times and about how they were unable to process the influx because so many people were so upset about Miller being signed to the league. Eventually, uh, about two days ago, uh, they released him and said it was a mistake to sign him. Uh, Gary Bettman said he is not NHL eligible and will never be NHL eligible. And then Cam, uh, President Neely apologized to Isaiah's family after releasing Miller for reigniting the pain and trauma and not considering his trauma seriously because they didn't reach out to uh, Isaiah when they chose to sign Mitchell Miller. There is so much to talk about with this case that just makes me very angry and sad. And I just, I mean, James, I can't think of why the Bruins would think that this was even a relevantly, a relatively decent idea to sign someone so controversial, but also someone who, why why do you need him, A, for hockey standpoints, and B, for morale? Why would you do that? I, I You know, we found ourselves having a similar con- conversation last year about the guy we were just talking about, Evander Kane, with the Oilers, and we were all saying, well, at least it makes hockey sense for the Oilers to sign Evander Kane. Like, at least, you know, he's got a lot of problems off the ice, but, it, you know, he fits the bill of a physical top six mm-hmm. forward that they need. Mitch Miller, you know, I mean, he put up unreal numbers in the US at USHL, but the Bruins are putting up unreal numbers in the NHL, so I don't know why they would decide to get probably the most controversial figure in the NHL active free agency pool right now. I don't know what they were thinking, and uh, after reading some of the stuff that Mitch Miller actually said to uh, Isaiah Mayer, Mayer Crothers was uh, awful. Like, this guy does not belong in the public space, does not deserve to have people admire him, does not deserve to have a platform where he can be, you know, have his name in lights and have people buy his jersey and Mm -hmm. wear his name on their backs. It's just not fair to what Isaiah had to go through. And I read what Isaiah wrote the other day and said, even though he reached out to me and apologized over, like, over like Instagram, Instagram DM. DM or something. Yeah. He was like, it wasn't genuine and I don't buy it. And you know what? If the victim of the bullying and, and racial abuse is saying that, then <laughs> you should probably take that seriously because um, I don't I don't understand uh, how anybody could defend putting Mitch Miller on your hockey team. And I don't know how we were, e- we're even here in, in 2022 with um, some of the stuff that's going on, some of the progress that has been made, even in the sport of hockey, which has been, you know, so clearly... Um, a pretty divisive sport racially. So to to see that this was this clearly uh, uh, a one step forward, ten thousand steps back moment, and uh, good for the Bruins getting him off the books immediately. But you know now that they're gonna have to pay him for a full season. 
Really? So because because they signed him to free agency that they have to I believe that they have to pay him for a full year now. Yeah. But even though he's not gonna he's not gonna see any Touch ice. Touch ice. Yeah. That was I mean, clearly it's awful. What the Bruins thought was that they would make this signing and there would be public backlash, of course, but that they would be able to kind of skate by it and the team is incredible and people something else will happen and you know fans will be like okay well you know it's not good but it it almost reminds me of not nearly the same level but when the Hurricanes signed Tony D'Angelo last year Mm -hmm. and there was like a lot of backlash to that but you know at the end of the day he was producing and the team was winning and it kind of got all right, I might not agree that this guy is on the team, but he's helping us and whatever. But this is like a completely new level of that I don't. They clearly did not expect the amount of backlash they would get, and I've been pleasantly surprised about the lack of people that have been like, "Oh, you know, everyone deserves second chances." Because yes, I believe that most people deserve second chances. But as the age-old adage goes, recovery and reconciliation and reflection—it all starts within. And as you've said, James, Mitchell Miller has shown no remorse throughout his entire life about this, these prolonged incidents. And it's, he's made it clear that this seems to him as just a barrier to him playing hockey. And you mentioned that he reached out to Isaiah Meyer Crothers um, over Instagram and Snapchat of all places. Um, but he did it in October of this year. And then he was just signed why. to this contract. Yeah, ooh, wow. I wonder why. I wonder why. Definitely not a coincidence there. It's because he's a great guy and he cares. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like, definitely not a coincidence there. Um, Yeah, it just, it makes no sense for the Bruins. And then, you know, Cam Neely came out and said, oh, we didn't do our due diligence and there was new information. I think that is a load of BS. Um, Miller's agent came out and said, listen, this guy has been, you know, courted by a few NHL teams, which that has kind of gotten, that's kind of been blown over as well, yeah. but that there were multiple teams interested in this guy. But he said, listen, every team that we've talked to has known the extent of this situation from the get-go. Like, they've known everything. So the fact that Cam Neely comes out and says, oh, there was new information, no, you didn't reach out to the victim's family, No, which was stupid, and you got caught. Yeah. That's what happened. Yep. And if you notice when they posted the announcement that they had signed Mitchell Miller. They didn't have a picture of Mitchell Miller in like a graphic. Yeah, it was just the logo. It was just the logo of center ice at TD Garden, which means they knew it was controversial and they didn't want to put a picture of him on there. Mm -hmm. So they obviously knew. They knew it would be bad. They They thought they could skate by it. They thought they'd get away with it. And I don't know, like, I don't want to derail the conversation here, but this kind of brings me back to, we talked about at the end of last season when it came to light, but the Canada jun- uh, hockey team junior yeah. scandal. Like a lot of those guys that were on that team are still in the NHL. Michael McLeod is one of them. I'm not happy that the New Jersey Devils still employ Michael McLeod, who may or may not have been involved with that. Yeah, that's that's an awful thing. And the fact that no information has come out about it, besides the fact that it was reported that it happened, not a single piece of information has come out, and all those players are still comfortably in the NHL, never being asked about it. I think that's another bigger issue. But I th- I think that to me that like. I'm glad the hockey community, as you mentioned, gathered around this and said this is unacceptable. I I agree. I think that this, the fact that multiple NHL teams were considering signing Mitchell Miller just speaks to this larger issue that we see in hockey of forgiving this unforgivable behavior. We've talked about it before with D'Angelo and with the racism. We've talked about it before with players accused of, with Ian Cole being accused of sexual assault about this culture, which, I mean, he was found cleared, so whatever. But, like... There's this culture of forgiving these players, and it's not just a hockey problem, but I find it very predominantly in hockey, forgiving them because they're good players, being like, oh, whatever, they're a good player, whatever. You can't even, like you said, you can't even say that for Mitchell Miller. You could at least be like, ah, D'Angelo was in the league and was producing. This is a, what, 20-year-old kid who's been playing in the USHL, which, like, no knock to that. I mean, that's more than I've ever done. But you're going you're gonna to risk the, the prowess of your original six team that is literally the most lethal machine in hockey right now for bringing on someone who is so incredibly controversial and would maybe not even add anything to your team. You have no guarantee that he's even going to do well. You haven't seen him play at the NHL level. And this just speaks to this environment in hockey of being willing to overlook these divisive issues and all this stuff. And I just, I genuinely don't understand how 
Cam Neely could have thought this would have been a good idea. Even there was an organization that um, Mitchell's agent said that he had like worked with and the organization came out and said this is a lie. I don't remember who it was, but it he, was um is Carnegie something. Yes, uh, yeah. yes, yes, yes. Thank you. I it was like the, the Carnegie Initiative. Yeah, something yeah. like that. Something like that. But they came out and said he has never reached out to us. He has never worked with us. His agent saying that he has is a complete lie. And so and then you talk to the teams of the USHL, which they brought him back on after all this came down when he was released by the Coyotes in twenty twenty. And they were like, We believe in second chances. We've been trying to rehabilitate him. Well, as you, who was it? Was it Bergeron? Bergeron said, if it is the same 14-year-old kid or who would have walked into our locker room tomorrow, he would not have been welcome, and we would not have had him on the team. He says that wearing the Bruins jersey is for people with high character and integrity and respect, and he did not think that Miller should be wearing that jersey. And I absolutely agree. So I don't know why they thought that was a good idea. There are a lot of things wrong with the culture of hockey and everything, which we don't have enough time to break down. Let us end on a more fun note than that really quickly. A very, very quick pivot 180, but a little bit more of a fun pop culture moment. Ryan Reynolds might buy the Senators, which, you know what? I saw that, and at first I was like, this isn't real, and then it is real. And you know what? He's a Vancouver native. I mean, he was at the game the other night. He got a very warm welcome, very loud standing ovation. I think that'd be very fun and also silly if Ryan Reynolds bought the Ottawa Senators I mean, Bettman said that he isn't against it. Gary Bettman was like, you know what? I will seriously consider it. Although, and these are his exact words, so no one comfort me for saying this. Ryan Reynolds said he needs, quote, a sugar daddy or a sugar mama to help him pay for it because he can't afford to buy the team. I think in part because in addition to buying the team, you're then responsible for building the rink at LeBreton, which that could cost like a billion, like literally a billion dollars. So I don't know. James, you said you had thoughts on, on Ryan Reynolds buying this team. I, I am so for it. I think the NHL is, you know, not there's not a lot of transparency with the ownerships in the NHL. I feel like it'd be fun to have a celebrity owner in the league. And I feel and like, come on, Ryan Reynolds is probably one of like the best celebrities when it t- comes to like controversy free. I mean, knock on wood. I hope he's not at all. The guy <laughs> has like like uh, he's like one of, like, as far as like gossip goes, like his marriage is like Blake Lively, like it's like a celebrity marriage that people actually like don't hate, you know. He's fun. He always yeah, puts out like fun, fun he's content. He's funny, and dude. Stuff. Like his I love Deadpool. I like Yes. Like, he makes makes good movies, makes I, I like the guy. I love that he uh bought AFC Wrexham with Rob McElhaney from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia and you know, the with the Wrexham show, you know, like there could be so much that we could get out of this in terms of like a look into the NHL with like him as the owner and I think it would be a good thing not only for entertainment purposes but for the Ottawa Senators it would be so much fun for them to have like a guy like Ryan Reynolds at your, every other game in like a press booth you wave to him you say hi like that's that's something that a lot of NHL it's teams could, could benefit from just just from not only an entertainment standpoint and a publicity standpoint but just from like an efficiency standpoint like the players are going to want to play for him you mm-hmm. know what I mean like I want to be the guy who plays for Ryan Reynolds' team oh we're go- I'm, I got drafted by the Ottawa Senators that's Ryan Reynolds' team I'm going to go play for Deadpool this is this will be cool <laughs> get to meet a movie star and play the, the game of my life you know mm-hmm. yeah that it would be cool i hope i don't know like if it's actually realistic or not because yeah you mentioned he would need a, uh it would have to be a multi-stakeholder approach mm-hmm. but um it, it would be fun i i need to watch the tv show uh, i believe it's called welcome to wrexham but it's great show. just the yeah. like seeing what that his ownership has done for that team. Granted, that's like a what fifth level Welsh yeah. football. So like they were starting <laughs> it's, at it's different. They were starting it's at different. literally ground zero, but like now their games are on ESPN Plus, which they weren't before. Yeah. And now they you know they they've doubled or tripled their season ticket sales. So the way that he's generated interest, not only in the town of Wrexham, but also worldwide about this team. And you know, obviously the Ottawa Senators are. You can't even compare Wrexham football no. club and the <laughs> Ottawa Senators <laughs> but yeah I that would be that would be interesting and I agree with the transparency comments James that I think if Ron Reynolds is the owner of an NHL team we would get a lot more we get a lot better insight into you know the daily workings of what owning an NHL team is like which I think that would be fun that would be that. cool and I think like I'm not saying that there has to be a show about the Ottawa Senators but like there's just I think there would be I think there I probably, think there I probably would, would be there would be something there would be something where you'd see Ryan Reynolds would have to post more content like either whether it's just on his social media or if they just have follow him around with a film crew mm-hmm. like there's a lot of potential for this being like an actual commercial enterprise if he becomes the owner of the team and 
and I've seen now at, at Major League Soccer, which is a sport that really just wants to grow and wants to introduce the game to new people, what celebrity owners can do. Like Will, totally. Fer- Will Ferrell is a part owner of LAFC. He was drinking out of MLS Cup on the field, like <laughs> champagne the other day when they won. Uh, Reese Witherspoon's a part owner of Nashville SC. Um, Matthew McConaughey leads the fan chance for Austin FC. Like it's yes. th- like there's a lot of potential here, and I know the NHL obviously, NHL is here, and Major League Soccer, <clears throat> excuse me, is way down there. But there is potential. Oh, like oh. hockey is a sport that you'd also want to grow. So that's that's potential. that's exactly what I was gonna say. Is I was like having a celebrity owner like that who is <clears throat> so active on social media and has such a rapport for lack of a better term with his fans i mean people love his content with blake live like that they're known for being funny like that having someone like her like him posting about hockey being at games being with players i think is going to do nothing but good for the game as a whole we constantly talk about how do we grow hockey how do we grow the game because it is of the major four sports it is the least followed of the big four i think having someone like that who would a give us an insight into what it's like to own a team and be in that back end and B, bring just more attention generally and make it more mainstream to be involved in hockey and like hockey would really only do good things. That will just about do it for us this week on 5 on 3. I will be at the Garden on Sunday at 7 p.m. for Rangers and Coyotes. James, where are you next? I will be Saturday at the Rock for Devils Coyotes. Sick. You got anything coming up? Hanging I out? I got my 21st birthday this weekend. Oh, so, everybody. Yeah, everybody we say happy That's birthday. That's what I'll be doing. Oh, yeah. Probably it's not going to be watching. out for the moon man. It's on Saturday, be, right? Yeah, probably not going to be watching much hockey this weekend, if I'm being completely honest. Well, congratulations. Uh, That's okay. Thank you, thank you. Everybody wish a very <laughs> happy early birthday to Tyler Mooney. Five on three is a production of WFUV Sports.